All right. Oh, just getting all settled in. I had to tuck myself in a faraway corner of my house because if you've ever been to my house after 7.30 p.m., you know it's raging with sound machines because <laughs> I have a toddler. I'm trying to keep asleep. <laughs> yes. But he can sleep through anything, so. He is a good little sleeper. Thank goodness. Got it from his mama. <laughs> I used to be a very deep sleeper. Now I'm the older I get, the the less deep I can sleep, I guess. I feel like that's the case with a lot of people. Yeah. Well, how's your day, Philip? It was good. It was busy. Um, just start of the week, usual stuff. Um, nothing too crazy. How was yours? Yeah, same. I only worked half a day today because um, Trent's at the fire station tonight. So, um, you know, it, most people know, but he is an in-home health aide and a firefighter. So yeah. he's gone for either 24 or 48 hour shifts at a time. And so usually when he does the long ones, I take an afternoon off so we can go do something fun. So we went swimming. Oh, fun. Yeah, it was really fun. Well, I was stuck well, in the office all day, so... <laughs> I did not get many footsteps in to our footstep contest because the I took my watch off in the pool. I considered wearing it in the pool just to win. <laughs> I today, bet you did. I bet but, you did. <laughs> but I'm like, I feel like that's too extreme. Right. I love it. All right. Well, let's jump into kind of what we're chatting about today. Yeah. So Philip and I have been chatting and discussing kind of the evolution of the podcast and what that's going to look like. And I see the beautiful Patricia is on here and she so graciously invited us to join clubhouse, which yes. we had both kind of heard about, but you know, for whatever reason, didn't feel compelled to like get involved. And um, so when we got the invite from her, we immediately both started texting back and forth about all the fantastic content that was going on on here and mm -hmm. that we were learning. So, um, you know, we thought it was a platform that we wanted to be part of. And so here we are. This is our first one. Yeah. And we were trying to decide what we want to talk about. And so I think what Jess and I do best, uh, we're calling lessons in leadership. So we were thinking Lil Hustle. <laughs> much it's like our rap name i've always wanted um, to be a rapper so well little hustle it is so lessons in leadership i love it so let's just kind of jump in philip and kind of get right into the subject yeah. so why don't you start by telling everybody who maybe isn't as familiar with you um kind of a super brief history of your career and kind of what has prompted you to have a desire to be in a leadership role? Yeah. So um, my name is Philip. I've been a hairdresser for coming up on 15 years now. And I actually started out going to college for pre-med and decided that was not for me. And before I um, spent 10 years in school and $100,000 plus in tuition that I should do something else and figure it out. So I went to school for business and ended up graduating with a degree in uh, business management and marketing, worked corporate life for a couple of years, and then really decided that was not for me. And that's when I decided to jump into the hair game. And so I started in makeup and then decided to add hair on. Uh, I really didn't have any intentions of 
going into the hair industry part of it. I worked for Mac and actually was lucky enough to know some people in the industry and got to work on sets and do some editorial things and even got to assist on the set of America's Next Top Model. And But then I decided that... Uh, was hair- that the episode or the season I was on? You know, I thought you looked familiar when I first met you. <laughs> I was like, Stupid. I think I've powdered these legs before. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, yeah, and then decided to add hair on for just more marketability and to be able to get more gigs and ended up going to beauty school in Montana for just a year to save some money and then have been here now for coming up on 15 years. And so um, they have been doing hair and loved the industry. And what I loved most and what we talk about on the podcast a lot is the amount of avenues this industry has for viable career paths. I mean, you can definitely go the traditional route and be behind the chair. There's education and editorial and leadership and management and business. And there's so many different facets. And especially nowadays with social media and the podcast world and YouTube, there's so many different options for anyone in this industry to get started. And and that was kind of the essence of what Jess and I wanted to get to. My background in business, she's uh, a Veda corporate, Estee Lauder. And so we kind of wanted to come together, pull our resources and just share our experiences that we've had trials and celebrations throughout our career as leaders in the industry and then talk with other leaders and and get conversations started. And that's the thing I love the most about social media and, and platforms like Clubhouse is we get to hear from different leaders within the industry and get different takes on different situations. Whereas before, I don't think we would have had that insight without having to go to a $500,000, $2,000, sometimes more class in order to get those perspectives. And so that was kind of the essence of why we started this, this podcast and now on clubhouse, which is so exciting just to kind of talk and, and, and of course see what everyone else is doing on clubhouse. So that's kind of my, my story. What about you, Jess? I love it. I, and I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I think this is such a fun time in the world that learning is really, truly uh, so just like at everybody's fingertips at all times. And um, it's such an exciting time to, uh, you know, be part of this conversation. So I'm really excited about it. But yeah, so um, I like was womb to cosmetology industry. Like every single woman in my entire family is in the cosmetology industry, except I always say like I have one weird cousin and she's a pet groomer, so it's not like she got that far away from the industry. <laughs> um, oh, am I still there? Oh, there we go. Sorry, my phone cut out. So she didn't get that far away from the industry, but um, I, yeah, I went to college originally for environmental law because I'm super passionate about the environment, and I lasted a whopping two weeks into it, um, just because I'm not great traditional scholastic learner. Um, you know, I have some dyslexia challenges. So reading and retaining information that way has never been a strong point of mine. And so really when I found the cosmetology industry, I mean, I always knew about it through growing up in it, but I didn't know the depth of it. I knew it as my mom worked really hard and stood behind a chair all day, had long days. Um, She was happy with her career, but I certainly saw the wear and tear it had on her body. And I think that she worked in the industry as um, somebody who viewed it as work really hard and you'll make good money rather than work really strategic. And so 
I didn't know the opportunities that this career would have for me. And so when I graduated beauty school, um, I worked at one of her salons, which was an Aveda salon. And I kind of took over. And throughout the years that I did that, um, you know, we had a lot of success. And so I started having conversations with Aveda and was eventually recruited into the position that I'm in today, which is a salon and spa development partner. So um, I have been an employee of Estee Lauder Companies under the umbrella of Aveda for October will be 11 years. And, um, you know, what that time frame in this career path has done for me is it's really enlightened me to, again, the business side of this and the potential for success and really smart financial growth that the industry can have. Uh, again, my mother worked really, really hard, but I don't know that she knew the business side enough to um, really set herself up for success. And so that's what one of my biggest passions are and why I would like choose to be in a leadership role is I want to educate people on the capacity that this industry has for them and the avenues and the ways in which they can create long-term financial and career success that isn't exclusively driven by the labor of their own two hands um, and that they can feel really proud when they walk into a room and tell people what they do and how they run their business. Um, so that's kind of why I am in the leadership role and why I kind of do what I do. Nice. So Speaking of leader, we kind of toss around that word a lot, leader and leadership and my favorite person on the planet and um, author Simon Sinek talks about leadership a lot. So what what's your personal definition of leader? You know, I think that this is kind of um, one of those hard ones because I do hear the word leadership thrown around a lot. And I think frequently people associate leadership with a title. And I truly do not believe the two are associated. Um, so for me, a leadership and somebody who is in leadership is somebody who truly has the ability to compel you to evolve in whatever it is they're leading you in rather than propel you. I think of propelling somebody as like pushing them into it and like uh, maybe showing them the next steps to it. But I think a true leader compels somebody to find within them the passion and the drive to learn and self-propel through the path. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? I love I that. I didn't mean for those two words to rhyme. I did not mean that. <laughs> See, we're on a rap theme. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's my little hustle. I like it. But yeah, I mean, I've always admired the people I've admired most sparked something in me. It's not that they told me one specific thing that changed the way I do business, but they sparked a light or saw something in me that inspired me to to continue to be better myself. That's that's really what I love about leadership and how I would define it. What about you? I love, I mean, similar to what I was thinking, I was thinking about it all day, knowing we were going to be talking about this tonight. And I just thought of a leader like you, it doesn't exclusively mean someone in a leadership position like management or whatever role that may be. I feel like a leader inspires someone to perform at their highest capacity, whether that's in the workplace or through a hobby or in a relationship or anything like that, really someone who just inspires. And like you said, I think a lot of people think of a leader as someone who specifically has a title and coming from someone who for many years, especially after, 
college and, and, you know, being in corporate world title was everything to me. Like I had this dream, Mm -hmm. this dream of being a CEO. Like, I don't know why I didn't like corporate world, but I wanted to be the CEO of something. I just wanted that title and, and really through many years have learned that it's not the title. It's, it's more of the actions that prove a leader. I absolutely agree. And I think that one of the lessons that I've learned in this time too is one, any one person can do something wonderfully. They can do a great job at something, but to make a great impact on something, whether it be an industry, whether it be a business, whether it be a team, it takes a collaborative effort. And sometimes, um, gathering all of these individuals to have this collaborative effort is the greatest challenge in success. And so a true, true leader can take all of those individuals who have the capacity to do great things and they can support narrowing that focus, which forces them to innovate in the direction of success. Oh, I love that. I love that you said it forces someone to innovate. I really, yeah. And I think that's where stuff comes from is like, even Clubhouse that we're on right now is like such an innovative thing that is going to be a huge new learning platform. Well, and really was probably inspired by someone else who was inspiring them again, like I was saying, to really perform at their highest capacity and, you know, to swing it back around to our industry and the salon and spa. um, I think now more than ever with social media and kind of, you know, these younger generations coming up where it's just, I mean, I have personally found, and in myself as well, I'm a victim to this kind of the anxiety and the constant need to feel like you need to keep up with everyone on social media. Now more than ever, Mm -hmm. we need people people within the, the industry to inspire us to be our best, but also keep in perspective where you are and where you are at in your career and in your life. Because, you know, I've had many uh, teammates and, and people who've worked with me and under me who are just not in a point in life where, yeah, they're not going to be on stage at some 5,000 seat uh, hair show. And their capacity at that moment is to work part time behind the chair and really be changing lives individually. And so a leader a good leader will recognize that and really bring that out in someone. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So Philip talking kind of about now our definitions of a leader, let's kind of shift over to traits of a leader. So can you think of either somebody or some experience or something that embodies a actual characteristic or a trait of a leader that you found uh, beneficial. I think for me in over the years, the leaders that I've looked up to, which, you know, come from coworkers who work next to me. Um, I've had people who I've looked up to as a leader who, you know, I had an assistant one time who I really looked up to, who just had amazing work ethic and, and was just an inspiration to work really, really hard to my bosses. Um, and other people within the industry. And of course, you know, the big people out there like Simon Sinek. Um, But I really feel like the two traits for me that stand out as a leader is someone who is going to lead by example. I think that is the number one uh, quality a leader needs is whatever they want to put out 
as their expectation. If we're going to talk about leadership and, and within the salon and spa, um, a leader needs to lead by example. And then the second trait would be, which I don't think a lot of people think of, is really to have um, patience and understanding and, and what I talk a lot about with my team is grace for where people are at and what, mm-hmm. and what they're doing. And, you know, I think that old school, especially corporate world thinking is talking about leadership, really driving and, and whipping the whip at people and, and getting them to work. But really, um, again, especially in today's culture, I think grace and understanding for people is one of the highest qualities that I think a lot of people in this industry and in, and again, in this culture, they're looking for in this world. Mm-hmm. We're looking for people who are going to have understanding. You know, when I was talking about um, kind of the anxiety and the pressures of social media, I mean, I look at when I scroll through social media and I look at someone like, you know, no offense to anyone, he's so annoying to me, but Guy Tang, who is this this massive force in the industry right now on social media. And I'm like, well, what have I been doing? I'm still in Montana, you know, <laughs> and he's out there doing these amazing things. And um, there's, you know, so I think a lot of especially younger people who are coming up through the system and have this pressure of all these huge people they see on social media need someone to inspire them, lead by example, but also have the grace and understanding for the changing culture and what this younger generation is going through. And it's very easy for anyone really over 35 to just shrug their shoulders and, you know, be like, oh, this generation's so sensitive. But reality is that that's this generation and that's the culture that, and it's not even a generational thing anymore. Honestly, I've worked with mm-hmm. many 40, 50, 60 year olds who are in the same boat and have the same uh, emotional capacity and feelings and anxieties. And so I think now more than ever, the leader of a company not only needs to be the driving force financially and operationally, but um, you know, relationally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. What about yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, I really agree. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, um, I'm sorry, I don't want to be a bully, but this is kind of mean. Okay. Guy Tang's music videos. I know. Don't we? I feel like I feel like he lost me after that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? He's doing something right, and he. I mean, people are in it. I know. I know. I just. So I feel like since you're inspired, you were inspired by Guy Tang and his cosmetic career, you should probably start replicating his music videos too. <laughs> start making music videos. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm totally on board with that. And I, I do a hundred percent agree with everything you said. And for me, the traits that have made the greatest impact on those that stand out in my mind as leaders, um, you know, because over my 11 years in, corporate life, I've had really fantastic leaders and I've had some really terrible leaders. And I really, truly learned just as much from both ends of that perspective um, as much as what to do and what not to do. And the thing that's the number one thing that stands out to me to those that I felt a connection with and a desire to work hard for was the humility. Mm-hmm. They were humble and they were just people working with people. There was never this sense of above you or you are below them or anything along those. We're all aware of what the chain of command is. And when the way you communicate to people um, emphasizes it or has some type of undertone that acknowledges that, um, a lot it, it, it kind of subliminally creates 
this just discomfort in the ability to share new ideas or to be creative and, or again, like to push towards something that's more innovative. I, my experience, the relationships that I've had that have been very felt peer to peer, even though they were in a position above me, those are the ones where the magic happened. You know, we used to call ourselves on one of my teams, like the unicorn team, because all of these magical ideas and these like unbelievable, unbelievable things came out of our groups uh, within our company However, I do attribute that back to our leader who looked at us as, you know, very talented, very capable people. And that type of environment just breeds inspiration for innovation and uh, makes it safe to grow and learn because we all know growing also sometimes includes falling forward. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, you know, you already know, but um, I learned a huge lesson this last week. Um, we had a team meeting and we introduced a new policy mm-hmm. and the meeting kind of went awry. Um, there were some negative feelings and attitudes happening. I got a little defensive in it and cut it off. And then we had some incidences and it was a really hard two weeks. I had to have immediately canceled all my meetings and had meetings one-on-one with each employee to really see where they were in this situation and diffuse any rumors and, um, and really kind of do damage control. And, and part of it was their reaction. Um, however, I, and I've told my team this, I recognize where I went wrong and, um, and really it was a huge learning lesson for me in leadership to really, when people are getting to that mode to not get in defense mode myself um, because that put all of us on edge and it ended up being a really good thing. I think now two weeks later after, you know, everything's kind of calmed down we're at, it's like, it kind of brought us tighter and together and this is not tooting my own horn, but I think a lot of it was, I was able to recognize where I went wrong in the situation and came forward first and said, you know, this is where I went wrong. Here's what, you know, what we should do in the future when these things happen. And, and it's what has normally happened with my team. And, but for whatever reason, it kind of went awry in this moment. And so I think that, like you said, that humility is a huge factor in that. And, and trust me, like when I, everything started happening, I was ready to like bring the hammer down because that's my reactive mode going (laughs) in. I'm like, no, I'm the manager. And I couldn't do that, which is even more frustrating sometimes. But it was, you know, just having those conversations and saying, okay, something is very wrong here. And I've worked with many leaders who would not have done that and who would have just said, oh, well, from the beginning, and this is how it's going to be. And so it was, like I said, a big lesson for me. And then to come down and say, sorry, here's why I went wrong. And then all of a sudden, the few people that you know, it was going awry with, they all came back with, okay, here's where we went wrong. And, um, you know, we did have one girl who left the company because of it, not because of me specifically, but she just wasn't in agreement with um, her lifestyle and the policy. And her and I recently talked in the last couple of days and she was like, I'm so sorry. I don't, you know, I may have jumped the gun. And I was like, well, you know, we, we all make those mistakes and we all have to learn and, um, you know, let's just take it from here one step at a time. And so I think that is, but I think that that's exactly the mark of a great leader is I will stroke your ego here. So 
you keep that little that head not too big over there. But um, <laughs> I think that that's the mark of a really great leader is you immediately, even if you didn't immediately like recognize like, ooh, that maybe was a misstep on my end, you immediately recognized that something that I was involved in or I was creating had an impact on my team that is not my desired result. Mm-hmm. And you immediately the very next day got ahead of it, where I think a lot of people would step away from that discomfort and just hope it resolves itself. And that's when like it brews into something bigger than itself. And this reminds me of that quote. I'm totally going to get it wrong that I think it's Maya Angelou, but like people won't remember what you said, what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Uh, It's the same thing like that. But with like team members, people will remember, they won't remember the details of what this, what this was over in a year or two, but they will remember that, a moment that they didn't align with something within the business, you dropped everything and met with them one-on-one to make sure everybody had perspective on why this was something that was valuable to the company. Yeah. Well, the other part of it too was that my big misstep in this, um, and there were several, and the big one for me was I didn't explain the why enough and, Mm -hmm. and make it relatable to them. And that's besides being able to, my number one lesson in leadership is to be able, I have to admit publicly when I'm wrong and and when I misstep. Um, But number two is people want to know the why there's a, a, there's a huge buy-in when they know the why. And, and again, not to refer to him all the time, but I learned that from Simon Sinek as, as that golden circle of why we do what we do. And so it, it reminded me that, um, and every little thing we have to really talk about the why this is the why for the company. This is the why for you. And once we sat down and talked with this, everyone was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that definitely was not how I was taking it. And so I was like, okay, that's my bad. I, you know, here's where I misstepped. And, and so, you know, and even myself, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm, I think everyone who knows me well enough knows you do. Um, (laughs) My boss knows very well. I'm a control freak. And so if I don't know the why my, my heel is drove in so deep. And so that, you know, I was like, Oh crap, that's where I definitely missed the mark on that is explaining the why and getting that buy-in from that. And I think that that's again, where you and I both frequently would naturally fall short on the why, because that's not one of our driving forces necessarily. That's not our learner type. That's not our communication type. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I are both more doers. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like it's being busy and physically doing the task is really where we kind of measure and see success. And so I think that, again, you're, do, you do a great job of it, but as a leader, you have to look at your weak spots and you have to strategize around how am I going to, facilitate this or create something for this team or engage with this team, whatever that might look like in a way that elevates my weak spots and for lack of a better word, like dampens down my heavy points. That's so Um, good. Because I, because I, as one, like I get excited at this. If I had a freaking dollar for everyone, every time somebody told me, I thought you were such a bitch until I got to know you. And now (laughs) you're just so sweet. And it's because I, am really excited. I'm really passionate and I have a lot of opinions. Um, and I think that my ability to have an opinion is one of my greatest strengths because Mm. I, um, it, I'm clear on what my objectives are. I'm clear on what I align with. However, 
it does me no good if how I'm being interpreted is aggressive or bitchy or too strong or um, not open. So none of that like beauty behind the depth of why I behave that way really matters if it's misinterpreted. So I think that as leaders, it's 100% our job to identify the pieces of us that we default to or that we lead with that maybe leave a bad taste in people's mouth or are misinterpreted and find ways to um, deliver them in a way that is more palatable for everybody. And that has been my biggest lesson in leadership. And Phil, you know, like you have been with me from day one in this corporate job. And many people would be surprised no, Philip and I did not get along in the beginning. Like no. we butt heads big time. Like go back on the podcast. You can listen to your know, first couple of episodes, but like he kicked me out of his salon one time. <laughs> <laughs> so like it, it hasn't always been this way. And it was two strong opinions who had strong convictions and what they believed and what they wanted for their businesses colliding. And Mm -hmm. the thing at the end of the day was we both truly had deep intent to do great things and we didn't see each other's why and we didn't take the time to connect on a way that was collaborative. Absolutely. And I think one of the things like in this last, uh, this last couple weeks, you know, I get so excited about things and get so pumped up. Like you said, we're both doers. And so I was like pumped and ready to go. Cause we, you know, I finally have a leadership team within the salon. I have department leads and we talked about it and we were all excited and we understood. And I forget like, half the conversation has already been had within leadership. And so Mm -hmm. when we present, I forget that sometimes because I get so excited about things and, you know, especially the really good things like fun projects. And, you know, we just had a cleaning day and I was like, okay, we're going to do cleaning day and was excited. And everyone's like, what? (laughs) And I was like, no, no one else. Okay. Like two people were like, get the SOS pads out. We're excited. And that was it. And so I'm like, oh, okay, here's what we're doing. And here's why. And even in that moment, you know, thinking when you're going to present anything, which is what I've tried to do a lot is really present from the mindset of your biggest resistor. So when you go, Mm -hmm. because you, you know, I learned, I think it was from, I want to say Win Claybaugh, maybe. So I'm like, don't say Simon Sinek one more no. time. <laughs> <laughs> no, this one's Win. I think it was him. It may have been someone else. Um, but he talked, we did this thing on um, resistors, fence sitters, and visionaries. And you have a mix of the group. You're going to have mostly fence sitters uh, within your company mm-hmm. where it's just like, okay, they're just going to go with the flow because they're there to work. It's it's whatever. You're going to have your visionaries who are your ride or dies. They're going to back you up no matter what. Um, they're going to support you and, and have a good, fun time with it. And then you have a few resistors in every group. And it's not that they're they're negative people. They're they're just um, they're just naturally resistant and a lot of times people that just need to process things and so years ago I learned when you present something like a new policy or procedure you need to think from the mindset of the people that are going to be resistors and sell it the why to them because your visionaries are on board Mm -hmm. no matter what you know those are the people that when I said cleaning day they're there with a can of Ajax and a magic eraser and they're ready to go because they're pumped you're going to have the fence hitters who are like yeah I have nothing else to do I'll be there and then you're going to have the people who are like 
I'm a hairstylist. I don't get paid to scrub floors. And so it's our job as leadership to see that and sell them on the why. Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like the overall umbrella of the last like five or 10, however many minutes it's been is the difference between the, uh, for leaders, the ability to connect versus the ability to communicate. Everyone can communicate. Everyone can talk. Everyone can send out a memo. Everyone can say it's cleaning day, get on board. But the ability to connect with people and again, inspire them to be driven to participate is truly what makes a leader impactful. So I think that I heard this analogy once and this really resonated with me. If you think about your teachers, there were some teachers that stood out to you that you really liked that, you know, everybody in the school liked. And then there were some teachers that everybody didn't like and that, or maybe you didn't like, and that essentially they're doing the same job. They're delivering information that has been pre-written for them. But why do we prefer certain teachers over others? It typically that teacher's ability to connect with humans and inspire you through learning. And so when I heard that analogy and it was like, everyone can communicate, everyone can deliver information, but a really great teacher. And so we can sub that word out teacher for leader, just for the context of tonight, every great leader has to have the ability to connect with people, whether it is the way that they function in their brain works or not. It's our job as a leader to be the chameleon who understands everybody's point of view perspective and then pulls that together and creates an inspirational process for us to go through. Absolutely. And I think that's just like I I was saying earlier, that's, I think where we're at in our culture is, uh, you know, where the the world is more connected than ever. There's never been a time Mm -hmm. in history where I could call someone in China and London at the same time and connect with people and follow. And even more than that now with social media and the depth that Instagram and TikTok and YouTube are in is I can see the very intimate details of most people on social media now. Um, I was just talking my high school, my 20 year high school reunion is this summer, which is a whole other topic. But, <laughs> but it's, good thing you're getting that hot girl summer ready. You know, we're almost there. Um, okay. But it, I don't feel like I need to go. I'm like, I know I mm-hmm. the people that I'm interested in and knowing about, I follow them. I know, you know, wh- whose 10th birthday was last week and who renewed their mm-hmm. vows and, and all that. And so there is this really, I, I feel like this deep yearning for relationship that isn't there anymore because of the connection on social media and we can just text someone really quick and I love all of it and I'm not saying it's a bad I'm not one of those you know people and Gen X or boomers who are yeah this is all bad I think it's absolutely amazing but I think it's shifting our culture to things like in the workplace where we never really needed that relationship and that connection before to happen at work because it was always fulfilled in the rest of our life is now that workplace is almost filling that void and filling that Mm. need for relationship. And I think that's why the workplace is changing. And and there's a big conflict because we have, um, you know, some Gen X and a lot of baby boomers who look at work as work and, and not a need for a personal connection. Whereas you have, 
millennials and Gen Z who are coming in who need that connection because they're just not getting it always in everyday life. So they come to work looking for friends from coworkers and, and their bosses and things like that. And, and then wondering, you know, which I appreciate. I like the work environment we have now at my, my salon. I love we are a team, we're connected, we're getting to the point where we're, you know, we're, we're fulfilling that need now. And I think that's the big difference between in the shift in culture and workplace now. I have never, ever thought of that. And I absolutely agree. Because, you know, me growing up, you know, I didn't grow up in the world of social media. I'm old enough that like MySpace was my first social media experience <laughs> right. and that was in college, you know? Um, and so I've never thought of that of this generation who has only had or primarily had digital relationships. And yeah. so things like being in school was their, you know, physical or deeper relationships. But when you're not in school, that translates and shifts over to work. Um, the other thing when you were talking that it made me kind of think about is I think this is also why I personally rely really heavy on my personal friendships. And you know this, I always have friends coming over. I always have friends at my house because I work remotely. I don't go to an office. I don't go to work with humans. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have that physical friendship with coworkers and so I, you know, I deeply desire those relationships with people. And I, I think that that's kind of um, was a big aha moment for me. I've never really thought of that that way. Yeah. And I think, you know, with COVID and, and the global pandemic, we might be, I, there is a big shift. And I, I just saw this uh, news article that was talking about like over 50 to 60% of people want to keep working from home or do some sort of hybrid uh, solution of in office and from home. I think because people have realized, uh, at least for the people that have relationships at home with families and close friends that they can see, that that balance is a lot better and work can just be work. Um, However, once we start going back into the workplace more and more globally, I think that's going to become a big thing again. And and I really Uh recognize that when I, a lot of, because the team I'm managing now um, is the youngest team I've ever worked with. And also I'm Is that because I'm here? Um, So anyways, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, I'm also a lot older now. And so um, this is the youngest team I've ever worked with. And I've definitely noticed that, you know, I've had a few of the younger team members who I'm like, they're looking for almost for a parent or a really good yeah. friend. And I'm like, and, and the older side of me and, and corporate side really wants to be like, oh, I don't know about this. But I that's, I, that's when I realize I'm like, oh, I think it's because they don't get this connection in everyday life. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's amazing. I love it. Um, okay. So I want to do a little activity. I haven't told you about this because I saw this on Instagram like three seconds before we got on. Okay. But <laughs> I thought it was really impactful and I thought it was a great activity that people could do to help them kind of design this version of themselves that is a leader. So I saw a post that said, do an activity that has you write down what your five authentic characteristics are that make you successful. So for us, I think we can shift it to what are five authentic traits or characteristics that you have 
that make you a good leader? Ooh. I did read some of the comments, so I have some ideas. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, you go first while I think. Because <laughs> I did read some comments. <laughs> Okay, so uh, this is not what they said. These, this is about me. So me as a leader, things that I think that I do well, that make me authentic, that gives people the ability to connect with me. One, I said this again already, but I think that I'm opinionated. And yeah. I think that the sweet I would agree. spot in there. <laughs> but I think the sweet spot of being opinionated is learning to weave grace through the delivery. Ooh. Because being opinionated itself is not attractive, That's you know, true. as far as I can experience. However, I think somebody who is strong in conviction and knows what they think and stands for something, I think that is. Yeah. And so I, I think the fact that I am opinionated makes me a good leader because you know what you're getting from me is truly what I believe and what I am working for. However, I think my opportunity in that is to be kind with it. So that's one. Two is I think that I'm very critical. <laughs> I can and, also attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's like that could sound like a terror. That could sound like a put down to somebody. However, I think that my criticism comes from a desire to always level up. And I think that when I work and collaborate with people who know that and value that in me, the criticism comes to the table as, like, oh my God, thank goodness you noticed that. Where I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you value that in our relationship on the podcast because yeah. I fine tooth comb everything and you're like, oh, good call. Yeah, I was just telling um, a couple of, uh, or just one of my team members who w- we were coaching through some stuff and, and just some, we were talking about personality and I told her, I said, we do Enneagram and so there's nine types. So that's how we talk. That's our language and our, with my team. And I said, you know, every type has their main characteristic. What really is the core essence of each type and every single type, it's a really positive attribute, but it can also be a really negative attribute. It really depends on how you use it and where it's coming from. A hundred percent agree. And I, again, I've said this a few times tonight, but I I truly believe that that is the responsibility of the leader is to learn how to gracefully deliver who you are and how you are in a way that leaves people better than they came to you. When I think, you know, just like your, your, um, uh, your opinions, your opinion, and um, what was the other one you said? Critical. You're critical. Opinionated and, and critical. critical. Aren't you glad you're not married to me? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, again, I think it comes from a, there has to be connection and relationship first. You can't give yes. criticism and opinions without there being a relationship. And you and I have a strong relationship. And so I also know where those things are coming from. It's not coming only or from a selfish place it's coming from wanting the best for you and I both and I know that and so I think that's what makes it the positive uh, a positive is that we have connection and relationship and I know where it's coming from I agree and I think the context of where my criticism comes in supports us it elevates us it helps us be better um and not to sidebar on this one too far but you know just this last week, it was honestly only a few days ago, 
um, I had a sit down meeting with one of my best friends. She's been one of my best friends since I was like 11 years old. We've known each other forever and we've kind of grown apart over the last year. And we sat down to kind of talk about why. And she had brought, she said to me, you know, I feel like I will never be good enough for you. I feel like everything we do, I let you down or I disappoint you. Mm. Um, and it, it, at first I was like, oh my God, I don't feel that way. No, no, not at all. And then when we finished the conversation, everything was fine. Everything's pleasant. And, but when I walked away and I was driving home and I truly was in my own thoughts thinking, I was like, you know what? I do feel criticism of her because I see greatness in her and it frustrates me when she doesn't step up to who she could be. But stepping back on that situation, even one step further, that criticism, that's a time that criticism did me no good because if I'm overstepping the part of like them wanting that or them being part of that experience, then again, it does me no good. So yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm explaining well, but I mean, like with you, you and I have the agreement of be critical because this is something we're working towards versus a friendship, not an appropriate time to be critical, regardless of if it's to make them better or not. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say. Totally. Again, yeah. that's where it's coming from. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. So my third one is I'm good at communication. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm very good at communication. Uh, like, my husband, if we have a disagreement, uh, I am so terrible because I'll express how I feel. I'll ask him to express how he feels. And then I'll ask him to repeat back to me how he understood how I felt. And I'll repeat back to you how I understood how you felt. And let's write down on a piece of paper any pieces that we felt were not clearly mis- like it is like so exhausting. <laughs> that sounds like a great fight to me, but <laughs> I could see how for some people. Yeah, my communication game is strong. And I think it truly comes from years of being misunderstood. Like I had mentioned, you know, people have always said to me, like, I thought you're a bitch until I got to know you. So I think those years of being misunderstood has led me to maybe over communicate sometimes and that I want to show my true self and my heart and my kindness to you. And I want to make sure that I'm understanding yours. Um, But I do think that when I am vibing and I'm on, I am my best self. My communication is a strong point. Love that. Um, okay. My fourth one is I'm confident. Um, I do think I am really confident and I think confidence can encourage other people to be confident. Um, because I don't think my confidence comes from an egotistical type of perspective. I think it comes from like a fun, humorous perspective. Um, and I, I try to have fun in all situations. And then uh, the last one, I think, is I'm optimistic. Yeah. And I think that every time, like, everything's burning down, I'm like, I can always find one little laugh, but this is going well. You know, I think yeah. that my optimism, to uh, some extent, serves in, like, continuing things moving towards the light. I would agree with all five of those. I love it. What if I was like, oh, right. no, that's not you. <laughs> um, because I'm a good communicator, I would say, you know, I would love to hear more about your perspective and why you feel that way about me. I bet uh, you but would. I'm going to ask that you also write it down in bullet point form. Please make sure to spell check it because that will send me in a spiral if there's a typo. <laughs> it's like you know me. It's like I've met you before or something. 
Okay. Right. So let's talk about you. So five traits in you that make you authentically a good leader. So I did come up with five. Um, I okay. think my first one, and and I agree with this, but this is almost what everyone writes about me. Like whenever there's like an activity in the class and they're like, write three traits about each other. And this is the number that one. That you're cute. I mean, okay, so this is number two. Um, <laughs> is my passion. I don't do yeah. anything without full passion behind it. If I am not passionate about it, I just won't do it. And so... Um, you know, f- whether it's doing hair or running a business or, you know, I'm really into plants right now. <laughs> um, oh, my God. I mean, I'm surrounded by them right now. So anything I do, <laughs> I I do with passion. And um, people have told me that that is inspiring to them that I, you know, whenever I'm around them, I I'm just so passionate. I could talk about plants for hours. I could talk about hair for hours, anything. And that as long as I'm into it, I will have passion for it. And so that would be my number one. I would agree. Mm-hmm. My number two, kind of same one as yours. I wrote down strong but confident um, like yours. Um, I think, again, anything I do, I'm going to do it even if I'm 100% wrong. And you know this. I will do it like I am 100% right. <laughs> That is one of my favorite things when you and I are doing business things together and we're like on a call or something and both of us will speak like fly by the seat of our pants and it is a beautiful presentation and we get off the phone and we're like, how did we just pull that together with zero planning? Yeah. I'm like, I had no clue what I was talking about. You? No. Okay, cool. Same. We sounded like it though. Yeah. (laughs) So I agree with that one. Right. Um, my third one, which may be my favorite thing about me, is I'm a protector. I I am mm. definitely a root for the underdog or the down and out. I will, I viciously attack um, when someone I feel needs protection. And so whether that's a team member or a friend, um, I don't, I'm one of those people like you mess with one of my friends, you are dead to me. Um, I will be there at any moment for that person. Um, my inner circle is very small because of that. <laughs> and so the people that get in that, I i am fiercely protective of and will do anything for those people. I uh, also agree with that one about you. And I think that you feel that way with everybody at work. However, um, where I think this really shows up at work is your relationship with your guest care team. Cause you've said on multiple occasions, like these people are driving the ship. They are the one who are dealing with any disgruntled guests. They are not passionate about this industry. They came to us for an administrative position, have to a learn the industry, the terminology, the booking systems, uh, like uh, who it does everything like you are very passionate about your guest care teams. And I think that that's a really good representation of you kind of protecting those who need it more. So 
Yeah, we should do a full episode on guest care because I could definitely go on. I'm fiercely protective of guest care, although I also hold them to a really high standard. So when I say that, I, I agree with that, too. I don't I'm not like, oh, it's OK. They can do whatever they want. I'm protective in that I want them to be the best they can be. And in order to set them up, unfortunately, in this industry, there are a lot of times and I've worked with a lot of salons where. Um, the front desk is really looked at as second class citizens within the salon and spa. And so I, uh-huh. I get very protective and, and, you know, we, I've gone through my bouts with guest care. There's, it's just naturally higher turnover. Like you said, they don't come to us to have a career at, uh, as a receptionist at a salon. Um, and that uh-huh. has always been one of my big goals is to create viable career paths for guest care. And really, uh-huh. and really help them along because a lot of the times, like I said, they're not, you know, people don't come to us with like this grand dream of being a guest care manager. <laughs> I mean, if anyone does, right. please come see me. <laughs> but <laughs> now accepting resumes. Ah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. So my fourth quality, and this has come through years of experience and not having this but especially in the last couple of years, um, my grace and understanding for people and where they're at in life and, and in situations. Um, I, and I learned this mostly from my last boss who I always said had a little too much grace. Um, but I've learned that there is no such thing from her. And there were many Uh times in my career where she should have fired me maybe on the spot. And, you know, maybe like the time we had this new development partner from Aveda come in and I tried to kick her out of the salon. (laughs) Oh, it's me, Jessica. Yeah. It's me. You know, there are many times (laughs) where I should have been fired and she didn't because she saw something in me. And how she saw Uh that was because of the understanding and grace she has for other people and seeing beyond that. And so that's something I took from her and, and really have tried to implement into my leadership in the last year. I agree with that a hundred percent. And I am also good friends with her. So uh, I have had the pleasure of learning those lessons from her. And for me, that's Cassie Dow. Oh uh, yeah, Cassie Dow from Borboletta. Like we've done an episode with her, but she was the first person who, had like unwavering grace and everything she's done. And anytime I find myself like wanting to be my natural bitchy self, I'm like, what would Cassie do? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, like find the kindness that Cassie would deliver. Well, and I, I've, I have this new, I think as I get older, I just have this outlook of, I would rather have been burned or something go awry because I had too much grace and mm-hmm. did everything I could to help someone or guide someone or, you know, bring it back around to business, have done as much as I can to retain uh, an employee or guest rather than um, having the afterthought of maybe I should have done more. Maybe I should have been nicer yeah. or had more understanding. And I'd rather have like, well, you know what, we can always find someone else. If that didn't work out, it wasn't for us rather than God, I really wish I would have done more. And that's kind of the, it's, I think it's kind of like with the pandemic right now, do we know exactly what's going on and our masks is effective and the vaccine? I don't know, but I'd rather come out the other end, having been more empathetic for people who need it Mm -hmm. rather than be the jerk who doesn't want to wear a mask because it's uncomfy, you know? Like yeah. that to yeah, me is a better outcome than like 
crap, maybe I should have done more. Maybe we could have saved more lives than I did everything I could. And it was a slight inconvenience. But at the end of the day, um, I at least can feel good with myself and, and the decision I've made. Yeah, I agree. And then my last one is I'm a learner. I'm constantly wanting to learn more, Mm -hmm. how to be better. I love reading leadership books. I love podcasts. I love classes. Um, I, to this day, I still get out a mannequin. I was doing a photo shoot and pretty much knew what I was going to do. But the week before pulled out a mannequin and was trying different ways of doing it to see if something would be better or, um, you know, I'm learning a new method of extensions. And so I have a mannequin out before I do my first head to really practice and learn. And, and even like in my lesson this last couple of weeks with my team willing to say, you know, I was wrong and, and here's where we can do better. And so that I think is, a great, I also agree. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that that's a trait of a lot of great leaders. Very leader do, are very rarely do you hear a leader who actually claims or identifies themselves as like an expert or a master in something. Yeah. They typically, again, going back to what I mentioned in the beginning, but they're the humble ones who are yeah. just excited and passionate and have the ability to connect with people and inspire them to kind of get on board with their vision and move that train forward. Yeah. And I definitely think there's times to show your confidence in that. Um, but there, you know, like I kind of hate that. Like I have the title of master stylist, not, I'm not the only one in my salon, but it's kind of like when I talk to other hair people, I'm like, Oh, I hate saying that. However, that's the time to do it for guests. So there get my guests know that they're coming into someone with experience, just like I can't, you know, right. go into, you know, when I'm leading a team into something new, I can't be like, Oh, I don't know. Here we go. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, well, I love it. Our first clubhouse. Well, I feel like we did it. We made it through our first clubhouse. Um, I'm inspired to be a better leader, even just talking about it. I think this is also one of those things that when you teach something or talk about something, you you know, you learn yes. so much and do better out of it. So I think tomorrow you and I are both going to show up as really great leaders. Absolutely. This is what I love about this podcast because my team listens to this. And if I say something, I better be actually doing it with my team. (laughs) So any of the listeners, what we say is what we preach or wait, what? What we preach is what we practice. What we preach is what we practice. Sure. Let's go with that. (laughs) Okay. You stick with making up little rap names, little hustle and I'll stick with the tagline. Okay. Well, Well, I love it. Well, thanks everyone for listening tonight. Um, It was really fun and we look forward to seeing you on our next one. Yeah. And if you are listening on our regular podcast, we're throwing this up as an episode. Um, make sure you follow us on Clubhouse, Philip Procopio, Jessica Saunders. Look for us, follow us. We're going to start a club soon for the Beautiful Hustle podcast. Uh, make sure you also follow us on Instagram at the Beautiful Hustle podcast to keep up with when we're going to be on Clubhouse and doing more of these because these are fun. These are impromptu, super easy. And eventually we'll have guests. Uh, coming up here to speak as well. I love it. Well, right. we look forward to seeing everybody soon and have a great night. Thanks. Bye.